Hey everyone, welcome to the Obiter Podcast. I'm Pat Clancy. And I'm Aaron Fisher. And this is part two of episode five of the Lawyer Series. In this series, we sit down with lawyers at Mackenzie Lake to discuss their career, personal life, and anything in between, all in an effort to introduce our listeners to the human being behind the lawyer. Previously on Obiter. Eventually, there was a detente, you know, kind of a treaty which was entered into. The church members and the pastor would never say, we will never, ever physically discipline the children. But can we say that that's an absolute last resort? And they say, yeah, we, we, we don't like to use it as a first resort. So, so, and that was the way it was resolved after all this hoopla. And it should have been the way it could have been resolved before the hoop. He's caught up in, I mean, when we talk about hoopla, he's got another big hoopla going on right now about anti-mask advocate and he's holding in-person services inside his church right now in the midst of the pandemic contrary to all kinds of local bylaws are there any parallels that can be drawn or or information or understanding that can be drawn from this new situation when compared with the last i think it's it's the same issue in different clothing right it's 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 the religious beliefs versus the law and, and saying, we don't subscribe to, to the limitations that this law uh, imposes on us because it's restricting us, restricting our ability to get together and go to church services and do what we consider to be the will of God. So it's, it's, it's the exact same issue. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not surprised. And obviously, um, I, you know, I, I respect the freedom of religion and, 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 uh, and Pastor Hildebrand's right to assert freedom of religion. What I find, frankly, uh, um, offensive about this, however, is the pastors looking at what's going on as a conspiracy or a manipulation by the establishment to manipulate and control people, and 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 if if again I I haven't talked to him about this. If if news reports are accurate, comparing what's going on with Nazi Germany is very repugnant to me, because, you know, I think you should read history a little bit more carefully about about what happened and the evil of Nazi Germany, and and the dismissal of the pandemic as a serious health issue goes against science and goes against facts. If he's fortunate that he's never met anyone who has had a family member die of, of, of COVID or someone who had COVID and survived it, I think he would take it more seriously. And, and you can't look at, you know, 462,000 people in the United States died. You can't tell those, the, the parents, the, 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 the grandchildren, the husbands and wives and children of those people that, that this is not a real problem. And going around saying that not only affects the church members, which is, you know, I mean, that's their business, but it also incites 
other people who, who even are not parts of the church to, 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 to disbelieve it, thinking, you know, someone who is uh, uh, a leader in a church would not be lying to them. And I, I'm sorry, but I, I, I think that he's not being truthful when it comes to, to the way he's casting the, the issue. Uh, so, so I think I think there are parallels, but but with with, with that case and what's going on now, and, and what I I'm afraid is that it is being used to create a fight between the church and 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 assert himself, you know, as the leader. To maybe um, further <laughs> isolate or insulate his his flock. Yes, which is kind of what Justice Schnell kind of predicted 20 years ago in that in, in, in the other decision. Well, getting back to um, family law cases, the, the Children's Aid Society case was 20 years ago, and that was obviously an interesting case. But what kinds of family law cases are emerging now in 2021? There are a number of, of cases that are causing us to... to look at so what's going on in family law. I did a trial in the 70s where I acted for a father of a child in a common law relationship. And after the trial, Justice Winter, as I remember um, at the time, said on the record, the father is a better parent than the mother. It would be in the best interest of the child to be raised by the father. But given the state of the law, the mother, this is a young child, and the mother should be preferred over the father because they were never married. It's still her child. So he gave custody to the mother. So that tells you what that was like in, in, in the 70s. Since then, we've been moving towards equality. That, while that is desirable, and, and certainly there have been many studies that show that with parents who cooperate with each other, that's the best result for a separated family is to have full involvement by both parents. But there's also a lot of studies that says if both parents don't get along, if there's continued conflict, that that's detrimental to the children. So the issue is now becoming a question of conduct and people are beginning to fight over accusations, for example, of domestic violence by one parent against the other and a lot of times it's by, by a mother against a father, are countered with the father accusing the mother of alienating the children against him. So this, this issue, the alienation issue, is becoming huge in terms of as a weapon in order to say the reason why I don't have a good relationship with the children is not my fault, it's the other parent who is turning them against me. And a lot of judges are buying into that. And they're buying into that in spite of the fact that the mother might say, I'm not alienating against them. He was an abusive father. And the children don't want to spend the time alone with him because they used to use my protection when they were in the home with me. And now they don't want to go to his house. And, and because, unfortunately, it, it's kind of delineated on, on gender lines, it's become the new gender issue. And it's a very complicated gender issue to decide you know, whether domestic violence uh, existed and whether, whether the alienation exists. And there's been crazy stuff happening, or in my definition of crazy, teenagers being taken out of the home uh, where they're doing well, 
with one parent and put into camps designed to change their attitude and try to unify them with their father. And, and people are escaping from those camps. Kids ended up in psychiatric hospital on suicide watch as a result of not being able to go and live with their favorite parent. So these are very hard, tough cases, and there are, they are increasing, not decreasing, unfortunately. They could be very expensive cases, too, That's which is a big hurdle for the parties involved in them, is just normal people that need to get all kinds of experts involved, and, and there's the delay associated with having those experts that can really stretch out and exacerbate the, the strain everybody's under anyway. Are there other gender issues that exist today in family law? There's issues now around gender that we would never have thought about a number of years ago. You know, children who identify uh, with a gender that they were not born into, and and then parents having a difference of opinion as to what to do about that. And, and again, it, it creates a real rift in terms of, of what do you do. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've always believe that listening to children and that children should have a voice in custody and access cases if they want to. They don't have to, but I mean, I, I've evolved a favored legislation to make it mandatory for children 12 years and over if they wanted to, to, to be involved and have a say, a voice. They don't decide, but they should be consulted if they want to. I mean, I, I'm not advocating forcing but these are emerging issues with, with sexual identification. And, and, and again, it comes to the social sciences, junk social sciences, in my estimation, supporting that. Just like there's camps in the, in, in the, in, in the United States and that some judges have bought into about changing the gender. So that say, oh, you know, my, my son cannot be gay. He needs to be converted into realizing that that's not you know, either on religious reasons or for whatever reasons, that that's not acceptable, and we're going to send him to this camp to change his his orientation, which is craziness. And then someone, some psychologist will justify, you know, why that's healthy. Like some psychologists are trying to justify why it's healthy to take a child where he's doing well away from a parent and put him in a in a in a camp to be indoctrinated in favor of the parent that they don't like. Uh, you know, it's not an easy issue, but to me, if you just put blinders on and not look at the parents and look at the best interests of the child, I think we should be respecting the child's autonomy and integrity and not and not make him a football between parents. I think that's one of the most interesting parts about practicing family law is that issues that are emerging in society I, I think family law is one of the first places in the law that they kind of start to appear. For example, gender identification shows up increasingly in family law cases. Same with sexuality and all of that type of thing. And there there isn't a lot of case law outside of family law or legislation outside of family law. And we're, I don't want to say making it up. That's not the right word, but we're figuring it out altogether as a, as a practice area. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, you, you put your finger on why I, I like family law. It's because it is, it's at the hub of our society. Obviously, it's a fundamental element of our society. And societal issues are the family law issues we, we deal with. And it's important. It's important with, not just with what the law might say about it, but it's also important with how, what the process is to get to a result. 
because the adversary system doesn't lend itself to dealing with these touchy issues. It's a very blunt instrument because it requires cooperation. And by definition, the adversary system is A versus B. It's, it's antagonistic, it's adversarial. So, so we need to rethink not just what, how, what our laws look like, but also what our process looks like. What about vaccinations? Would they be an emerging issue? You know, with vaccination COVID. has been an issue for, for a while, but it's going to become very, very uh, important in, in, the, in the COVID era, right? Because of all the, well, the importance of a vaccination and the herd immunity issue. You know, I, I was appointed by a judge to represent a child a, a couple of years ago where there was a dispute between separated parents uh, with respect to vaccination. One wanted the child vaccinated, the other one didn't. And, and, and uh, I think the child was around 12. And, uh, you know, the, the, I was appointed as amicus curiae, which means that the, the judge appointed me to, be, to actually bring all of the arguments for and against vaccination because he wasn't satisfied he's getting the full picture. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, you know, my recommendation was that a judge should not be put in a position to determine whether vaccination is good or bad on the science, even though there's a lot of science to support it, but should decide on who is the better parent to make that decision, because it's the parent who knows the child, it's a parent's values, if you can choose between parents. But it's, it's, it's an interesting issue, and it, it raised itself not just in terms of vaccination, but with COVID, in terms of just visiting rights. Mm, right. You know, I mean, a year ago, I mean, there's all kinds of urgent motions where, you know, one parent says, wait a minute, Joe's with me, you know, and uh, he's going to stay with me for the duration of the pandemic because <laughs> you have a girlfriend and, and then her children and those children are visiting with their father and I'm not going to put them in your house because not only can you contaminate them, but so can your girlfriend who can be contaminated by her ex-husband's partner. It becomes like a, right. know, a domino. And the courts were very quick to sort of say, no, you're not going to sort of use the pandemic in order to breach court orders and, and breach agreements unless you can prove that there is real risk to this child, either because of their immunity system or they've got problems, or their exposure to someone who's likely to have it. So we're at the forefront in family law with all the social issues because we're at the at the center of of uh, the family is at the center of everything we do. It was right? it was very very interesting through the first couple months of the pandemic, especially when people were in lockdown and vacations were being canceled and people were working from home and managing that in all those separated families. The case law built up incredibly quickly and it became a real. I don't want to say science experiment. Nobody wants to think about their family law case that way. But to see how quickly a brand new emerging issue can be dealt with in the case law in family law was very interesting. Yeah. And some, you know, some great pronouncements from judges. I mean, Justice Kurtz, who I know, is a, who is a relatively new judge, wrote a decision where there's this big conflict between parents on the COVID issue. And in it, he says, I mean, I'm, I'm not articulating, I'm not quoting, I I wish I could be as articulate as he is. He says, you know, amongst, amongst this pandemic, 
the the one thing that's that hurts children and which there's no vaccination for is conflict between parents and basically said cut it out and and then we've had judges say you know at some point you have to love your children more than you hate each other and it's that kind of environment that we work in in family law and it's something that we try to work on continuously not just like i said in terms of the law but how can we do things differently so that it does not hurt children to the point that Aaron you made it's just getting too expensive it's too expensive to litigate and especially with children's issues i always tell people those issues have a very short shelf life it's not like having a car accident and you decide who's at who's at fault you decide what the damages are and you're done right you never again have to look at that case with family law you know support can change depending on the circumstances but with children as children grow older their needs change their desires change and so you could blow you know put a mortgage on your house and blow your parents savings on a huge custody fight only to find that 2 years later the circumstances have changed and you have to do it all over again so we need we need to sort of be more realistic about that and 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 we cannot promise people that if they spend this all kinds of money that somehow the solution is going to solve all their problems because that's just not right it's not true it, in the grand scheme of things the person making decisions on all the evidence about your children probably should be the parents not the stranger on the bench that they've never met before and will never see again and you don't know what their personal history is if they've been through a divorce with terrible custody and access issues or if their coffee maker was broken in the morning it just it's a there's just yeah. got to be a better way can we have a computer make those decisions is that is that possible well interesting you say that pat i i think what's happening if i can be so bold to sort of predict what's where we are and where we're going is that when it comes to financial issues we're we're going with math and algorithms and artificial intelligence is going to decide it for us i mean th- th- this this actually exists right now there's there's even like even in tax law for example the, the, there's a two professors from university of toronto who have done all of the research on all the cases dealing with different issues so for example the issue is you you uh, you sell you sell a piece of property and and the issue is uh was this is this capital gain or is it income right sure and so you can feed information into the computer and you get a result that says 89% of the cases in that fact pattern says it was income in the computer artificial intelligence is able to dissect a lot more cases than any judge could ever do right yeah. and take all kinds of 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 things into consideration so you feed into all these fact patterns and then with artificial intelligence it learns it it, it as more as more cases are feeded to it 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 learns and it, it learns and it keeps on going you know it it i think it took 10 minutes for a computer to beat the first grandmaster in chess and then after it learned to do that you know it can do it in like nanosecond <laughs> because it learns uh and it doesn't forget things so that function can be used to determine uh child support uh, spousal support division of property 
and I think I think we're definitely going in that direction. At the other, with other issues, however, there's a real movement in the United States on trauma-informed courts, and with the realization that a lot of family law clients and and lawyers and 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 judges do suffer from the trauma of the conflict that family law causes. And now what's happening is, with all of the emphasis on mediation and negotiation and resolving cases, the cases that are going to court are the cases where there is personality disorders, there's abuse, there's maltreatment, there is addiction issues. And those cases are not going to lend themselves to a computer because they're going to need a treatment milieu, you know, more than a, an, a decision. And, and they have to be recognized. And, and judges need to be made aware of those issues. A statistic from, from a, a study that was done a number of years ago, which I try not to let people know, is that if, if abusers go to court if, uh, on a custody fight, an abuser has a better chance of being successful than the abused. Why? Because the abused goes in traumatized and makes a bad witness by the definition that we use on, on what makes a good witness. Mm. A charming abuser can judge a lot easier. And this is going to get worse when we're doing, in my opinion, when we're doing cases online. Why? Because when you're looking at a screen, What's going to happen, and to some degree this happens in person as well, but it's going to be much more pronounced. We get, we get our notion of emotions from television and movies, but I mean, mainly from television now because, you know, movies seem to be a thing of the past. So, for example, your idea of happy is you think about tears or you think about, about, about Seinfeld. Look a certain way. They act a certain way. When they're sad, they act a certain way. When they're remorseful, they act a certain way. And so if someone doesn't act like that, we form opinions about that person. We forget that the person who is on television doing that is acting that. Hmm. You know, it's not real. And the, the, the witness you have in the witness box who is can't put the sentences together is real. And what you're seeing is the consequence of the trauma that she suffers, especially watching the abuser seeing or being at the witness at, at the council table right in front of her. So these are things that, that judges need to learn. These are things that lawyers need to learn. And these are nuances that if we're going to improve the system, have to become part of our system. We have to learn, you know, how to differentiate between between people and and their actions and what's true and what isn't true. So there's this dichotomy between, I think, one area being driven by artificial intelligence and the other one being driven by science and psychology and, 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 and the humanity that does require an understanding that, that cannot be given by a computer, but requires a real understanding of the social sciences and, and behavior. You know? I don't practice family law, obviously, and maybe one of you two can obviously answer this better than me, but would family lawyers, would they not be more, they would be more inclined to want to 
argue that the more cut and dried cases or the numbers cases where you know there's there's a pot of money involved right and and you know when you're getting into contextualized issues like you were just talking about are you going to have lawyers wanting to do those cases are they going to be incentivized to do those cases well interesting because i mean i did a paper more than 20 years ago now about the future of family law and at that time i had predicted that we're going to be we're going to end up with a, a paralegal type person who has more more information and knowledge in in uh, psychology and social science than in law, who will end up being the person to drive resolutions and custody and access cases. And I do think that that's what's going to it, it, that's going to happen. I think there's still going to be lawyers who have an interest in it, like like me who will still do custody and access cases and are going to be inundated with them and will have on staff the social science peoples that help them with with those with those cases but by and large most i mean it's not going to happen tomorrow so don't worry about this Aaron but <laughs> eventually eventually i think that with artificial intelligence the money cases are going to become like like residential real estate mm. you know i mean not to be um, <laughs> you know, no offense Pat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. nothing wrong with residential real estate we <laughs> do great work just between the three of us <laughs> there's, not, there's not a lot of legal uh, <laughs> yeah. uh kind of uh, sure work no i understand what you're saying it's transactional yeah it's, it's, and and that's what's going to happen i think with when you know when we do that um it, it, you know but but there's still going to be people who will fight over the money because of the, you know, if someone with a personality disorder, for example, is going to want to fight no matter what, it's not going to accept the computer, what the computer tells yeah. them. But most of those cases, I think, I think the computer is going to look after. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, we're going to yeah. see a divergence between what I call human issues and money issues, I think, in family law as, as, as uh, this as this decade unfolds yeah. you're seeing that right now with policing right like there's this push to defund the police and and bring in you know i don't know social workers or people that are trained in mental health issues for uh these kind of situations that the police are not either able or not trained to handle so there you know there's a lot of those types of people are being brought into police cases yeah and you know london ontario was a leader in that. And this is a sad story. In the 70s, in the early 70s, there was the, the, what's called the family consultants were, were formed and they were social workers employed by the police and, and paid as police officers, but they were not officers, who were called upon. So when there's a domestic call, they'll go in with the, with, with, with the police officer and they're the ones who interview hmm the the uh, the parties and it was a very successful model and also dealing with young offenders and children who you know in conflict and children's aid issues and you know, people from all over the world came over to look at it and was very successful until a few years ago when there was this when you know there was some budget crisis and they cut the program hmm. as recently as a few years ago I'm, I'm, I, I would say, I guess, about five years, okay. but, but, but the police consultants program, and there were some very good people. I worked 
I was on the management board of the family consultants for a number of years, and we had some very good people who were, and, and, and you know, and the police officers loved it. They were there to keep the peace, but they didn't have to do the heavy lifting of trying to figure out who's doing what to whom. And they would make appointments for people. So, you know, uh, you know, the problem is a lot of times you say, well, you should go see, uh, go to the, uh, you, know, you should go see uh, a therapist or you should go, go to anger management or whatever. And everybody promises everything and then you walk out and nothing happens. But they used to make sure if you say, okay, I'm going to go to anger management, that you're going to go to anger management. But, but you're right. I think the, the issue is not, to me, let's talk about defunding the police. It, it's not about defunding the police. To me, it's about uh, diverting a percentage of the budget towards a new type of policing. Mm-hmm. That, that the police, it sounds like that the police would want in, if it's done properly. You ask any police officer, they hate going into that situation, for example, which happens so often, is where someone with mental health issues is disturbing the peace. So they go in and the person is, is you know, is, is erratic because they're having a, a psychotic episode. And what, what are they supposed to do? You don't know if they're going to kill themselves or kill somebody else or do nothing. Right. Uh, and, and, and so they would love to be able to call on someone who is actually a mental health professional who's dealing with those people. And they're there. If the person becomes violent, then, you know, safety first, you contain that person. But the, the talking part and the, the and, and then in planning on this not happening again in the study that we did show that there were nine incidents of family violence before the police were called. You know, mm-hmm. that's a lot. And that's why a lot of times you have very, very unfortunate incidents where the police say, well, we, we had no, uh, we've never been called. You know, things happen before you're, you're being called. So. Um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit, like we didn't get into it and meant to early on, but what what do you like to do outside of family law when you're not arbitrating cases or being a family lawyer? What, what kinds of interests do you have? I, I, I'm a wannabe artist, so <laughs> I, I read a lot of art, art books when I can, and I, and I paint when I can. I like old movies. What's your favorite? I, uh, Casablanca is my favorite. <laughs> I've probably seen it a hundred times. Classic. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting because during these COVID days, you know, uh, I think we're all a little anxious. At least I, I admit to being anxious. I find that, you know, watching an old movie helps with that. Yeah. You know, even if even if it's a gangster movie, you're not going <laughs> to see any blood, you know. In black and white, it doesn't look so bad. Yeah, yeah it's not. Um, it, it, so so it, it's not. And I find movies where there's graphic conflict to be disturbing. Because I, I, I'm just, you yeah. know, my mental set right state right now is that I, I you know, I, uh, I want calm and pleasantness. So I don't yeah. So have you yeah, been I painting in, in a little bit then? Well, I'm kind of working, interestingly enough, on a charcoal sketch. And I haven't, I haven't worked with charcoal forever. But I want to do a, 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 a pandemic sketch. And that has to be dark. So yeah. And I usually I like I like bright colors. I like I like to paint in, in kind of bright, beautiful colors. So so I'm I'm kind of working on that. I'm still working on the design of it. 
that's awesome and and family law or well the law runs in your family or, or it has run on to the next generation right your kids i'm 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 proud i've got two children both became lawyers i don't know where i've gone wrong but um, <laughs> you're proud but you don't know where you've gone wrong <laughs> i don't know but, but um my son is actually uh doing family law in toronto he formed his own law firm now uh, and he how does he market uh, himself well, when he first came out, you know, he, he told people that he consults with me before giving advice. So he had this, he's got a great sense of humor. He actually even did stand-up comedy uh, when he was doing the bar admission course. Um, so he used to market himself as, you, you get Alt's advice at half the price. <laughs> <laughs> because his, his hourly rates were a lot less than mine. My daughter is a... Is a very successful criminal lawyer in Toronto and she actually just this week she kind of um, she said she's in the text to me and her mother saying you guys were really uh, psychic or something when you named me because I had just found out Alexandra means defender of people and that's what she does she uh, I, I tried I tried criminal law and I didn't like it but she she's very good at it Interesting story about her is she she was she got somebody out on bail and and uh, and the guy says to her, yeah I knew I wanted to get you. He says you know down at the jail they talk to you. Your your name is is Meriwether, and she said, Meriwether I'm not Meriwether. What are you talking about? He says well you know the boxer he never loses. <laughs> Floyd Meriwether. <laughs> so anyway so it's. Um, I'm, I'm very blessed. They're both very, very good kids and uh, uh, successful in their profession. But most importantly, they're just they're nice people. And I think that's the best thing you can accomplish in life. I'm, I'm there's no legacy like like having leaving behind kids that contribute to society and have good values. Al, thanks so much for sitting down with us and talking to us today. Yep, this was well, great. Thanks, Al. Thank you for. Showing the interest. Have a good evening.